Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the God of the Old Testament is still God. That comes, that comes as a, a surprise to some of you, huh? The reason this is important is because when we get to the New Testament and Jesus dies on the cross, Jesus dies on the cross because the God of the Old Testament still judges sin with rage. That sin was so unbearable that he said, somebody's got to die. He's not, he's not a God of grace that says, oh, you sin, I'm just going to erase it. No, 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 no. He says, I'm going to pay the price, the penalty, and the penalty for your sin is death. But my grace is I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm going to put it on my own son. His rage is still there. God still hates sin. Okay? God is a jealous God. What is God doing? Maybe, maybe he's trying to get us to repent. Sometimes people will express that they feel like God or like life itself is just against them. They, they say things like, well, just nothing is going my way. Everything I do ends up all messed up and it's just not good. Um, it just seems like everything is falling apart. It is very possible that God is against them. And then we go to, they come to church and they say, oh no, God's not against anybody. Just like the Israelites said, we don't need to kill everybody in the land of Canaan like God said. We don't need to get all the sin out. We just need to love everybody and not, don't worry, God's on your side. In this text in Nahum, the Lord is jealous, filled with vengeance rage. He goes on and he says, it continues to rage against his enemies. The Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great, and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. It's very possible that God is against people whose lives are falling all apart, and we are not doing the loving thing by telling them that God is for them when they're living in a sin against God. And God is against them. Nahum was writing God's word to Nineveh. It's an incredibly unique story. We always look at Nineveh just from the story of Jonah, but there's a whole lot of things going on there. We're not going to take time for it. Nahum is writing to, he's writing God's word to Nineveh, which is this horribly pagan, sinful, going straight to hell city. He's writing to them for the purpose of repentance. And it worked. What? Yeah, when people's lives are falling apart and you say, well, stop sinning and God will honor you. As long as you're sinning, you're going to keep running into walls in your life. And then they go, oh, well, okay, maybe so. Maybe they'll repent. I don't know. It doesn't happen all the time. But that's the purpose of us telling them the truth about how God does not let sin go unpunished. 
If you feel like God is against you, if you feel like everything is too difficult, then repent. Stop sinning. Turn to God. He's probably trying to get you to stop trusting in all your other gods and trying to get you to just trust in him alone. Trust in him alone. Well, but Brent, I have to trust in all these other things too. Hmm. Number two, the Lord is sending you. I got to hurry up. You guys are distracting me. The Lord is sending you. One of the judges that God raised up during this time was a man named Gideon. Here's the story. We're skipping forward to Judges chapter six, verses one and following. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites. That was one of the groups of people that they didn't get rid of that they were supposed to have for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains. Sweetheart, we don't have it bad yet at all. I think we're headed for it getting bad, but we don't have it bad yet at all. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, uh, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel. Camping in the land. It's one thing to be attacked. It's a whole other thing if they move in and camp. Camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat. Taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. All of this happened because Israel did not obey God and conquer all the people of Canaan. Now, picture what happens. It's, it's a great picture. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents. So these people who are coming to camp on Israel's land, this enemy hordes coming with their livestock and their tents were as thick as locusts. This isn't a few bad guys coming in and messing with Israel. This is, we got to move the car out of the driveway because there's a bunch of bad guys out there wanting to set up their tent and live in our front yard. Okay? Okay. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. You see, God lets the Midianites come in and oppress Israel. And finally, Israel says, okay, we've had enough of doing it our own way, enough of our own desires, let's ask God for help. Now, what happens in the Old Testament is during this time of judges, we have this cycle that Israel goes through where they rebel against God, and then the Lord uses a neighboring nation to discipline them, to bring them back to him, to bring them to repentance. They repent, and they obey, and then guess what they do? They rebel again. And they sin again. If I remember right, the cycle happens seven times. They go through this cycle of rebellion and repentance. Now, talk about a bunch of slow learners. You don't have to be these people. We don't have to go through the process and the misery 
of God's discipline. We can read how God deals with people and see that he blesses those who live in obedience to him. Verse seven, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I've done this before. Now you're being oppressed in your own land. I've done bigger, bigger miracles than this before. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord, your what? God. Not vending machine, not convenience partner, God. You must not you must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the tree at uh, Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press. Big wine press, put grapes in it, they press it down, juice comes out the bottom. He's hiding in the bottom of it, in the bottom of the wine press, to hide the grain, he has a little bit of grain to thresh, from the Midianites. Now, are you imagining this? Got the wine press set up, he throws his bag of grain over the top, he jumps in, be real quiet, he's threshing out his wheat, you know? throwing the chaff up in the air and letting it blow away real quick. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, most ironic words in all of scripture. We got Gideon, full chicken feathers. The angel of the Lord says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. <laughs> but Gideon's my man. I like Gideon because he's just, I think he's like a lot of us. We tend to be kind of analytical or maybe a lot analytical. So the angel of the Lord shows up with this grand gesture. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you, Gideon. And Gideon goes, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the, Gideon, to the Midianites. God did this to us. There's nothing mighty about this situation and the Lord doesn't seem to be with us at all. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have. We're gonna come back to that in a minute. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Just absorb that for a second. The Lord finds the guy who's hiding and says, mighty hero, I'm gonna send you to deliver Israel from all these hordes of bad people. Verse 15, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And Manasseh is questionable anyway as a tribe. And I am the least in my entire family. Gideon, I've got nothing. Nothing. 
And Gideon's right. He has nothing to offer. He has a wine press to hide in, but God found him there. The Midianites will find him there too. But the Lord tells him, Gideon, mighty hero, <laughs> I hope that the angel did not smirk whenever he said that. <laughs> mighty hero, buddy. <laughs> I had a real good friend. He used to squeeze my biceps and say, hey, you been working out? You know, mocking me. <laughs> Just made me think of that. You know, hey, mighty heroes. Like, I'm in the wine press hiding. What are you talking about? God finds us and he says, you're my masterpiece. And we go, are you mocking me? God says, no, you're my masterpiece. You are my masterpiece. He says, go with the strength you have. But God, I don't have anything. Just go with the strength that you have. Well, I don't have an army. Go with the strength that you have. Actually, Lord, I don't even have a sword. Go with the strength that you have. I don't even have a battle plan. Shut up and go with the strength you have. I would not make a patient angel, in case you were wondering. Take whatever you do have and obey the Lord. Again, the question is not what you are doing, because you're not doing anything of any significance whatsoever. The question is, I just messed up some of your theology, huh? Well, what I do is so important. No, it's not. Just obey. You got nothing. Just obey. The question is, what is God doing? Some of y'all are laughing at me because like, man, Brent, you're being hard on people this morning. My wife's been gone for three days. I'm angry. <laughs> I've eaten enough fast food to clog up my heart four times. The question is, what is God doing? Because when God is doing something... Gideon can be a mighty hero. You can be God's masterpiece. Isn't that incredible? It's not about what you're doing. Nobody cares what you're doing. What is God doing? He's going to use this guy that's hiding in the bottom of the wine press to be God's mighty hero. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if they, you were fighting against one man, which still is a big deal for Gideon. Gideon replied, Oh, man, you guys. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. Now, in modern thinking, this Gideon's going to go away. He's going to come back in 10, 15 minutes. I mean, if you ask somebody to wait on you, 30 minutes max, Right. If you ask me to wait on you for lunch, you got about 30 seconds, and I'm ordering and eating without you, by the way. Okay? Just want you to know. That way you're not surprised. <laughs> I mean, 30 minutes. He says, I'm going to go away. I'm going to bring an offering to you. The, the angel says, I'll stay here until you return. Verse 19, Gideon hurried home. Like on the video? I can run, huh? <laughs> Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat. Here again is this question of time. Now, I haven't done a lot of butchering in my life, but I've done enough to know that Gideon's got to go home, however far that is. He's got to find the goat. Hopefully it's in a pen, so he's got it pretty quick. He's got to butcher the goat, and then he's going to cook the goat. 
dude, we are three hours into this. Three hours? He cooked a young goat, and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Oh, he used the time-saving method. He didn't use any yeast. Yay, Gideon, way to go. Then, because he's in a hurry to get back to the angel that's waiting on him, we're three and a half hours into this. Just take your time there, buddy. Just hang out at the wine press. It's kind of cool if you get inside of it because there's a little shade, and it's not bad, and there's a nice smell inside of there. So you just, yeah, you'll be fine. It's just, you know, if you get bored, get out and play in the dirt. You doodle, whatever you want to do. I'm going to be gone for half the day. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. He didn't stay in the wine press. He went to the tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of the staff in his hand and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. And the angel of the Lord, poof, disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, Sovereign is this Elohim, God above all gods, God who is greater than anything I could ever ask or imagine. That kind of sovereign. God who is all powerful over all things, Lord. He says, oh, sovereign Lord, I am doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Because the idea was that if you had seen the angel of the Lord face to face, you would die. Verse 23 It's all right, the Lord replied, do not be afraid, you will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. This is a man whose family is being attacked by the Midianites on a regular basis. Every time he plants a garden, they come in and camp on top of the garden and eat all of the produce. He's just trying his best to take care of himself and his family and life and do what he's supposed to do, be the man that he's supposed to be, and all of the world is against him. And all of a sudden, here we have the Lord of peace in the middle of this chaos. The altar remains in Orpha, Orpha, in the land of the clan of Abiezer to this day. God seldom uses those who are humanly qualified. We offer our excuses. I don't know how to present the gospel message. I don't think anyone listens to me. I don't have, and then you fill in the blank with whatever it is you do, not have. God says, I chose you because you're a big chicken with nothing. So go in the strength you do have. Be obedient with With the strength you do have, I am sending you and I'm going with you. Look around your world. What is God doing? There are a number of places where we can be involved in what God is doing. A whole bunch of it was happening in video announcements this morning. Um, I'm sure that God has placed people in your life. God has sovereignly placed people in your life at work, at home, in your family, in your extended network of relationships. That God, God puts you there because he wants you to share the gospel with them by your actions and by your words. Number three, hurry up, Brent. The Lord is jealous. We just read that in Nahum. The Lord is jealous. Verse 25, 
That night, so this all happened at the wine press. The angel's gone. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the, the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, it's in its prime, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar. Are you getting all this? You're gonna tear down your dad's altars? Then build an altar to the Lord, your God here on, the hill, on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using all the fuel, the wood, all using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded, but he did it at night because he's the mighty hero. <laughs> he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household. He was afraid of his family for taking a stand against the idols, against sin, and taking a stand for the sovereign Lord God Almighty. Nothing's changed. We're still in the same situation Gideon is in. He did it at night because he was afraid of the members of, of his father's household and the people of the town. This is not going to be popular church. God is not tolerant of other gods. He's not tolerant of other gods in our personal lives. He's not tolerant of other gods in our country. He's not tolerant. So for us to pray and say, God bless America, whenever we're standing overtly in sin against God, is God's not, God's not amused. No, he's not. God's not tolerant of other gods. So removing idols is not an easy task in either situation in our personal lives or in our country nonetheless nonetheless God is still a jealous God and he wants them removed otherwise he will continue to fight against you you okay all right early the next morning as the people of the town began to stir, I like this, they come out of their houses, they're all... Someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? And, the, and after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. You see, in their reaction, we can see how committed these people are to their false god, Baal. God, Elohim, the God who created it all, delivered Israel, he's out. Baal, who's good for nothing, is in. And it happened very subtly. Does anybody else see a parallel here? Baal is their God. And you are not going to mess with him. They wouldn't, they wouldn't live for God, but they're ready to die and to kill for Baal. Verse 31, but Joash... 
dad, uh-oh, he shouted to the mob that confronted him, why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a God, he didn't even give it the courtesy of the God. He says, if, if Baal truly is a God, let him defend himself. That seems reasonable. And destroy the one who broke down his altar. If he's any kind of God whatsoever, then whatever little wimpy man who probably hides in a wine press, whoever wimpy man did this, Baal surely can take care of him. Verse 32, from then on, Gideon was called Jerob Baal, which means let Baal defend himself. Kind of like that, because he broke down Baal's altar. Baal does not defend himself, by the way. Sometimes we develop this love, this affinity, this attraction, um, this maybe it's a trust in something other than God alone. Maybe it's money, it's a job, it's a spouse, it's the safety of our family and our friends. It's the ideals of a nation. Maybe it's as simple as our own preferences for what we believe is right and what we believe is wrong. And in that attraction to those things other than God, we lose sight of the glory of God. We lose sight of what God is doing and we get distracted with what we feel like we need to do. We stop asking what is God doing and we start looking at how we can fix what is not right. Or maybe it's just fix what we don't like. Hmm. And in doing so, we give ourselves to an idol that cannot defend itself no more than a rock can defend itself. Are you with me? We give ourselves to a thing or a person or an idea that is actually not powerful at all, not glorious at all. And God the whole time is saying, hey, I'll make you a mighty hero if you obey and follow me. And we say, oh no, I'm busy doing the work of the Lord over here, telling people they're terrible. The question is, what is God doing that is worth being a part of, that is worth giving myself to and trusting in with all that I am? What is God doing? Because whatever God is doing, I promise you, is going to be glorious. Gideon was a simple, he was, he was simply a person just like all of us. He was just trying to do his job of taking care of the family and keep them safe and keep them fed and just be a dad and be a husband. He's just doing what he needed to do. But then God showed up and he says, Gideon, go with the strength that you have. I'm not asking more than you have. I'm asking for you to take what you have, follow me and be my mighty hero. This was just the beginning of what God is doing. Church, so we have a lot more of the story of Gideon to cover next week. It really gets good next week. Go, here's my, here's my challenge to you this morning. Go with the strength, whatever strength you have, go with the strength that you have. 
Join God in his work. Stop trying to drag God into your work. Find what he's doing and join him in his work and let him make you a mighty hero. Now, I want to pray with you. And the teachers are two minutes past time to let the kids out. So you may have to go get your kids out of the parking lot. Let's all stand together. I don't know if they're running around back there or not. The heater didn't work back there last night. So it was 50 degrees when I was back there earlier this morning. So they all may be just frozen to the wall. Who knows? Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we want to stick our nose in your business way too often. Father, I pray that you would put it in our hearts that we would desire to follow in obedience to you and not try to fix the things that we see wrong. Lord, that we just walk every step of our path close beside you. Father, that we watch carefully to see what you're doing, where you're at work. Father, put it in our hearts to join what you are doing instead of creating our own path and going our own way, doing our own good. Father, I ask that you would make us your mighty heroes. All we have is the little bit of strength that you've given us. We have the instruction of your word. Father, we want to follow you. We want to be fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to live a life that brings you honor and glory. And so we surrender ourselves wholly and completely to you because only in you can our lives be transformed for your glory. All of our faith and trust and hope is in you alone. Lord, be exalted. Be visibly exalted in our lives so that those that don't know you will see the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives and be attracted to eternal life in Jesus. You have been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on Main Street in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.